Come, says my friend. Let us step into this coffee house. As you are a stranger to the town, it will afford you some diversion. What would you like? What have you got? We have latte, cappuccino, espresso, macchiato, double macchiato, Nescafe, gold blend, black, long black. I went to the Hackney Coffee House with Cousin Billio, where we saw several of the Hackney gentlemen, particularly Mr. Dawson, a director of the East India Company, called me by my name and asked me whether there was any news. two coffee houses at the start of the 18th century in Hackney which is what we'd think of as sort of the historic bit at the top of Mare Street and in those days Hackney was a sort of rural prosperous village very wealthy and it was full of sort of bankers and it had seven taverns but more excitingly it also had two coffee houses um, I'd like just a normal cappuccino a small one yes thank you uh, a soya cappuccino 390 please So if you, if you went into these places, the first thing that you'd notice would be an overwhelming sort of stench of sort of burnt soot, prunes, body odour and tobacco, and that would hit you as you went inside. You'd then see a bunch of men sitting around a series of long wooden tables, and they'd be doing all manner of things. They'd be reading, drinking, talking, they'd be gambling. Sometimes they'd be shouting. If they were disagreeing, they might even be throwing coffee in each other's faces. We're at Towpath on the canal and we're having a coffee. Actually, we're recounting the story of a serial killer film. Uh, putting the world to rights. Uh, I'm here checking the internet, doing some research because my broadband at home is not working. First I ate, then I watched the traffic go by, then I did the crossword. Just chilling, just chilling. César de Saussure, 29th of October, 1726. In London there are a great number of coffee houses, most of which, to tell the truth, are not over clean or well furnished owing to the quantity of people who resort to these places and because of this smoke which would quickly destroy good furniture. In these coffee houses you can partake of chocolate, tea or coffee and of all sorts of liquors. Also in many places you can have wine, punch or ale. Beans. We have just hand-roasted, beautiful, organic Bolivian coffee beans. Um, I like just normal cappuccino. A tavern, you'd go there to drink, to be rowdy, to smoke, to pick up women. Coffee houses, although they hosted their fair share of ribaldry, I suppose, but they, they were sort of wider spaces where you could sit down, think, drink, exchange ideas and information. Went to the coffee house after dinner where I found Mr Crisp and Mr Jackson. I was the most free there I ever was in my life and talked pretty humorously. <laughs> Mr. Jackson told a very good bawdy story. Yeah, you know, you see, it's like, it's like a social. You have a chat, you read the paper, you look through the windows, say hi to your friends, and that. so, just chill. I've made friends with people that I've sort of randomly spoken to, sat next to. A trip to the coffee shop is a sort of a lone time, a bit of a solace for me. 
I mean, I'm an animator by trade, and sometimes some of the better ideas that I've ever had have come while sitting in a coffee shop. Physically, as you went in at the front of the coffee house, you'd see a coffee man or woman standing in front of an enormous cauldron of coffee. You'd pay a penny, which would entitle you to an infinite number of refills. You'd sit down next to friends or strangers if you didn't know anybody. You'd try and impress the other members of the coffee house through your comportment, your clothing, your conversation, somewhere where you'd go to construct a reputation for yourself in front of strangers. They were really crowded places. A lot of commentators likened the sound of them to the sort of buzzing of bees because there were sort of people in there sort of chatting and smoking and talking over each other at once. They were not particularly calm places, although enshrined into the convention of the coffee house was that opinion should be opinions. You should not try and sort of contradict anyone or pontificate or be dogmatic. Um, but in reality, some of the discussions became very heated indeed went to John's coffee house, talked with Mr. Jackson about public affairs. He's mightily pleased as well as myself that the parson is hanged for an example and warning to other priests that they may not fancy their cloth will be a protection to them against the justice of the law. You'd be greeted customarily by the cry of, what news have you? And then you'd be expected to exchange any new information you might have. Sit down, then you could start reading one of the many newspapers that would have been strewn about the tables. I provide the Guardian and the Mirror, and on a Sunday the Observer and... Sun, Mirror and the Star. I buy about six, seven, because the people take, I buy and they take. Uh, and they... The, you know, good East End specials, the Guardian, the Observer, Independent. In Hackney, the Telegraph and the Mail wouldn't go down well. Yeah, I'm reading the Guardian. It was left here in front of me, so just reading the paper. News of the day, uh, lots of public sector staff are losing jobs and swearing becoming the norm on TV. Coffee houses were magnets for news and therefore when you had editors of newspapers, the best place to go and collect information and intelligence was one of London's various coffee houses. Well, depending on what type of news you wanted, if you wanted financial news or news about the religious dissenters, you'd send a reporter to Hackney. If you wanted news from the world of the London literati, Covent Garden, politics, Westminster. And these reporters would go and sort of thrust themselves into coffeehouse companies, sit there and listen, take the information back to the printing office, and then it would be published. Went to Tom's to inquire about the progress of the rebellion. We heard from good hands that Major General Wills has cut the rebels to pieces in press. Here is a member of Parliament by me in Tom's coffee house, saying that they have been debating three hours about the word brew house. Well, all when I ever do is do the crosswords. I try not to read the newspapers. One kind of garbage or propaganda after another. The reason why political news circulated so widely in Hackney was in part to do with communications with London, which were very good. You had the Penny Post, which ran twice a day. This was a precursor of the modern-day courier service. But because it was also a commuter city, and a lot of uh, people who lived in Hackney were merchants and bankers, 
So it was within their interest to know what was going on politically. And of course, they went home every night, took all this information back, deposited it in the Hackney Coffee House, what news have you, sat down, then went home. So there was this flow of information straight from Westminster into the heart of Hackney. The more you need a coffee, the better it tastes, I find. The taste of coffee, frankly, was horrible. If we brewed what was understood as coffee in the early 18th century now, you probably wouldn't be able to drink it, you'd have to spit it out. When coffee first arrived from Egypt and Turkey, it was commonly compared to a number of things. Soot, prunes, shit. There was a suspicion of coffee because it had become from a sort of heathen, unchristian people. It was very, very bitter. I suppose one of the closest things would be Turkish coffee today, which is quite gritty. They're coming here, play snooker, play cards for drink, chatting with the friends, with everyone. Uh, that's important for people connection in Turkish community. We talk about the world politics and Turkish governments. Our last conversation about Israel. That's where he's make Turkish coffee. As far as I understand it, there is an incredibly exact science in the making of a good coffee. What we're going to do is we're going to make a latte. So we basically take the coffee out of the... So we're going to start with a clean basket of coffee. Then grind the coffee. 30 pounds of pressure. The milk has 12 in the jug. And it has to be a pre-infuse your shots. And then pour. I'm James Wilson, the Hackney Podcast resident philosopher, and we're in Lock 7 on the Regent's Canal. So here are your coffees. Thanks very much. Now, coffee is amazingly important for philosophy. I, for one, find it very difficult to start thinking in the morning before my first cup of coffee. But the interest we have in coffee, as we've heard, raises all sorts of philosophical questions. Why is it that we think that the kind of pleasure we get from a a good cup of coffee, a properly freshly brewed cup of coffee, is more important than the kind of pleasure we can get from a cup of instant coffee? Now, the philosopher David Hume, who was alive during the last important period of coffee culture, tells the following story. Their two men were involved in a wine-tasting competition. The first one tasted the wine and said, well, this is a great wine, other than it tastes a bit leathery. The second man says, well, it's a great wine, other than it tastes a bit of metal. And both of them are, are laughed at. But they get to the bottom of the, the barrel, and lo and behold, somebody's dropped their keys into the barrel. Now, the greatest world authority on coffee, Ernesto Illy, who's responsible for the Illy brand, suggests that you need 55 beans to make an espresso. And if just one of those beans is, is mouldy or wrong in some way, that destroys the, the flavour of the whole. 
drink. And what we get from both Hume and from Illy is just a realisation that when we attune ourselves to these sort of small, delicate tastes, it makes a great difference to the kind of pleasure that we can get out of things. The pleasures we get are they're purer, they're more complex, and they're more satisfying. So because of this, I guess we can think of coffee drinking as a kind of art and a skill that we can try to develop. Certainly it's something I'll be trying to develop while I finish this cappuccino. This is our coffee roaster. It's pretty solid, weighs about a tonne. Basically, it's a revolving oven with um, burners underneath it which heat the uh, cast iron. And uh, those burners, you just have to watch constantly because that's really your temperature control. That's the noise of the heat coming through the exhaust up there. We actually want to turn that down a bit. Right, Ian, should we drop that green in up there? Now we're on our way up to 170, so probably another minute. We'll be ready to go. After about three minutes, the, the, the chaff will start to fly off and you'll start to get smoke and dust. The uh, old tailor upstairs gets a little bit of coffee smoke going into his suits, which uh, he doesn't really appreciate, but we tried our best to keep that away. Okay, we're about to drop now. It's coming up to 170 degrees. So that's the beans falling in. And that's the uh, rhythm of the, the beans getting turned around inside the drum there. In the 1950s, coffee houses suddenly reappeared in London's landscape, but this time under a completely different guise in the form of espresso bars which were imported from Italy. They were very often just a space with benches round the side, perhaps covered in leather or something, and we would sit in semi-dark, having tarted ourselves out in the latest Italian pink. You know, I used to stand in the cafe next to you. On this side was uh, Lucian Freud, the other side there was this lunatic, uh, what's his name, civil servant, quaint and crisp. And we would sit and chat and hope that we would be attracted to some young man. It was all very social. We weren't talking about politics. Where are we? Uh, Hackney Wick Hackney is where we are. The uh, Hackney Pearl. I just wanted to open a place where people felt comfortable coming any time of the day, whether it be for a coffee or a nice pot of tea, come back for a glass of wine in the evening, sort of cross between a, a, a cool bar and Grand's Kitchen. I can't remember how I heard about it, but this is actually our first time here after months and months of talking about it. I've sort of been following them on Twitter and interacting a bit, but now I'm finally here. 
coffee houses have now returned to the streets of London once again, as ever, with Hackney leading the way, we are now witnessing what's come to be known as the third wave of coffee houses. These coffee houses are different to their predecessors in that although they're still places where Londoners will go and socialise, there's an almost scientific concern with the quality of the coffee, um, with places like Clemson and Sons in Broadway Market roasting their own beans, places like Lemon Monkey in Stoke Newington, The Taste of Bitter Love, Towpath, Hackney Pearl, a lot of time and effort goes into producing a cup of coffee. And if you go to Redchurch Street, you'll find the Penny University, which is named after what the original 18th century coffee houses were called. And you sit around long wooden tables, but you don't talk about the news or meet strangers so much as listen to a lecture given by world barrister champions about how they've made this cup of coffee. And if we think of coffee houses as mirrors, which reflect the tastes and concerns of Londoners, then I wonder what this sort of epicurean twist to the third wave says about Hackney society today. Soft and weak, strong and bold Italian, Colombian, French, Ethiopian, Greek Steam them, clean them, grind them, keep them In a cold place, hermetically seal them New nerds, new ways, new beans Machine it, pressure it, on the stove, rear it In an old burner from Red Church Street Champion baristo, in a shoreditch shop One cup toilet, two cup shaky Three arm twitching, two wakey, wakey Then running backwards through London fields You may might go half decaf. An Abyssinian goat herder named Cowdy was the first. Maybe in the morning milk's okay, but for God's sake, stop it for the rest of the day. Espresso's the only pure faith you see. <laughs> 